hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. It's been a long, long, lonely week. No, I'm surrounded by friends all day, and I'm a bit of an introvert, but apparently I'm not alone in my loneliness. And though that irony isn't much of a consolation prize, volunteers at the University of Chicago's Brain Dynamics Laboratory, all otherwise young and healthy, We're tied together, really, by one thing. Nearly off-the-chart scores on the most widely used scale measuring loneliness. Asked how often they felt they had no one they could turn to. How often they felt their relationships seemed superficial and forced. How often they felt alone left out, isolated, or no longer close to anyone, the answer almost always was, quote-unquote, always. The volunteers agreed to be randomly dosed over the eight weeks with, I guess this is pregnenolone? I'm not good with pharmaceutical names. It's why I skipped out on pharmacology in college. That, and it wasn't my degree. Uh, But this particular hormone is naturally produced by the body's adrenaline gland. They could either take this as a volunteer in this loneliness study, or they would be given a placebo. Two hours after swallowing the assigned tablet, the university's researchers captured and recorded the volunteer's brain activity, while the participants looked at pictures of emotional faces or neutral scenes. Studies in animals suggest that a single injection of this hormone our bodies naturally produce, pregnenolone, can reduce or quote-unquote normalize an exaggerated threat response in socially isolated lab mice, similar to the kind of hypervigilance lonely people feel that makes them poor at reading other people's intentions and feelings. The researchers have every hope The drug will work in lonely human brains, too. Apparently, we have a lot in common with rodents or mice. Although these researchers insist the goal is not an attempt to cure loneliness with a pill. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder how it'll be marketed to people. It doesn't cure your loneliness. It'll just help a little bit. Unless you forget to take it, then you're back to feeling, well, fragmented and forlorn. and Like you're not part of your society with all your superficial relationships. Lead researcher and neuroscientist Stephanie Cacciopo, again, when it comes to pharmaceutical names and last names, I need some work, folks. But this lead researcher has likened using a drug to rubbing frost from a windshield. Loneliness increases both a desire to connect with others and a gut instinct for self-preservation. If I let you get too close to me, for instance, you'll only hurt me too. People become more wary, cautious, and self-centered. The idea is to help people see things as they are rather than being afraid of everyone. For some, the idea of a pharmacological buffer against loneliness 
is just another sign of the creeping medicalization of everyday human woes. Wouldn't a pill for loneliness only make us more indifferent, more disconnected? Is it really the best we can do to fix the modern world's so-called epidemic of loneliness? But what about this epidemic? Headlines are suggesting it. They suggest we've become consumed by loneliness. A new generation of Eleanor Rigby's half a century after the Beatles' lament for the lonely. For instance, some of the headlines are, Why are 30-somethings lonely? What you need to know about the loneliness epidemic. Loneliness is a human catastrophe. In a recent study by Angus Reid Institute, survey found that nearly half of, well, Canadians, those who occupy the Great White North, there's a little bit of a difference. You know, the heat right now in Alabama is oppressive. Oppressive. So oppressive, it's a bit impressive. But... Certain parts of the Great White North, good old Canada, no wonder you might feel lonely. But nearly half of Canadians apparently sometimes or often feel alone. Well, I'll get to my commentary in a second. In the U.S., the number of Americans who feel they have no one with whom they can speak has tripled since 1985. God, but life is loneliness, despite all the opiates, despite the shrill, tinsel gaiety of parties with no purpose, despite the false grinning faces we all wear. This is what Sylvia Plath, she the one who killed herself by sticking her head in the oven? That's a brutal way to go, Sylvia. She wrote that in her journals nearly four decades ago. Today, people across the West are reporting higher levels of persistent loneliness than ever before. But is this epidemic actually real? Are we truly more lonesome than generations past? Or have we simply lost the capacity, the tolerance, if you will, to be alone? Are the digital technologies that enable us to have instant contact and faux friendships distancing us from actual meaningful relationships? Is it fair to pin the blame on our digital culture, on social media, or is this just the course of Western politics? The rise of populism and individual individualism, is that really the cause of our loneliness? To, do, to those people, those researchers actually testing the loneliness pill, a therapeutic little helper... The epidemic is certainly real. As the top researcher says, imagine a condition that makes a person irritable, depressed, and self-centered, and is associated with a 26% increase in the risk of premature mortality. Around a third of people in industrialized countries report feeling lonely, one in 12 severely so, and the proportions are increasing, they warn. Hmm. So, though life expectancy is growing, fertility rates in the population, well, fertility rates are falling, the population is aging. We're marrying later, I'm certainly a candidate for that, and having fewer children. This is a well-established trend across all developed nations. Technology means we can do almost all we need to do from home without physically interacting with a single human soul, and a chronic lack of connectedness of being on the social periphery can be seriously harmful, even deadly. Studies suggest loneliness is more detrimental to health than obesity, physical inactivity, or polluted air. Chronic loneliness, and not the transient kind that comes with a significant life disruption, such as moving cities for work or the death of a partner or a parent, has been linked with an increased risk of developing or dying from coronary art artery disease, stroke, elevated blood pressure, dementia, and depressed immunity. So this report goes on and on and on about all the ins and outs of science behind loneliness. And maybe for some people, especially people that have this increased response that I feel so lonely but I can't engage with others, it's a, it's a vicious, vicious irony 
uh, that you feel very lonely, but you're worried about connecting with other people because those people will just hurt you. At least I can deal with the devil I know myself feeling all lonely than deal with some devil I don't know, potentially. I guess that's the trade people are making. And if a pill can help people, I suppose I'm not necessarily against it. But I would say that's probably not the best way to go. Probably not. I often find that if I'm feeling down and out, it means I'm not setting the right goals. And again, I'm more naturally an introvert. I was having a conversation with somebody about this earlier today. I, I like being alone and having my alone time. Don't get me wrong. There are times when you curl up in bed and you hope, oh, you wish you had somebody next to you. Or there are times when you curl up in bed and you do have somebody next to you and you still feel alone. There are, there are plenty of nights where I wish I had more to do. But what does that mean? It means I need to take concentrated efforts on specific tasks in order to better my situation. What often gets me down, I think it often gets a lot of people down, is that you, you string all these little problems together. And you make them into one wicked, massive problem. This nest of vipers that seems almost insurmountable. But if you just focus on one of these snakes in the grass, if you just focus on what you can do today to make yourself better than who you were yesterday, not even better in a privileged sense, like I'm high and mighty, I'm so good, look at me, but just better in sense of improving your life a little bit with concentrated efforts, and then you might coast for a little while. I think that is the right approach. Again, it's a conversation I was having earlier today, and I think there's a lot of insight into that. We're all trying to figure it out. And it might be that you have life all figured out for a while, and then life changes all of a sudden. Now what do you do? I'm the type, and I'm being straight up here, folks. After my mother died from brain cancer... I was the type who said, I want to go back to work. Some other people, and no judgment here, need more time. Give me some more time. I need to think about things and process things. I took one day off for the day of her funeral. But given how I am, I like to engage in whatever my work is. I feel like that is the best ailment or best way to heal an ailment especially one of the heart that is definitely seems insurmountable. If we essentially, I think there's somebody at the door. There's somebody out there. See, this is what happens when you're lonely, folks. You feel paranoid. I just heard a knock at the door or something. But... I tend to think when I put my best foot forward and I throw myself into my work, and it doesn't have to be just paid work, any sort of project that often does involve getting to know other people, helping other people, I feel the better for it. So, Godspeed to these researchers looking into this pill. But they cannot actually replace a good relationship with somebody. And you don't really need, and this is the good news, you don't really need to be friends with the whole town. You don't need to be the life of the party. And often, the people that are the life of the party, the people that are in the spotlight, the people that are always laughing and making others laugh can be some of the loneliest people in the world. Just look at the case of a tragedy like Robin Williams. It could be tough out there. And so those people respond to that thing that they're fighting inside by just engaging with others and trying to find the joy in life. And then sometimes it gets the best of them. But I, again, tend to think that you cannot replace good relationships with a pill. And the good news is you don't have to be the life of the party. You can be happy, satisfied, like you feel like you belong with just a few good friends. That's all it takes. There's a few good friends. 
Now, I again have experienced in my own life. You make a few good friends, then they move. And another one moves. It's a transient world. And oftentimes, I think because of this transience, moving around constantly to look for better opportunities, we can often lose those community connections. It sometimes goes to our institutions. Imagine kids often, especially imagine a kid doesn't move like I was. I was raised here in Montgomery from preschool all the way through high school. I'm involved in the same school system. This is not just my story, but so many other kids. And once high school is done, once you graduate, all that social capital, all those relationships with your peers and people a little older, people a little younger, they don't completely evaporate. But when you go off to college or into the workforce, what good has all that social capital going to do for you? It's sort of out the window. That community that you had for 18 years of your life, imagine again, it's from childhood all the way into young adulthood. It's no more. You might have a reunion or two. But it's not usually in today's America where you stay. It's good to go and find your adventure. Go and challenge yourself. It doesn't always mean moving away. And also, and generally this is my approach, I heard a conversation earlier today about the internet. Is the internet a bad thing? Well, yes. It's also a good thing. Like anything complicated and complex in this world, there's plenty of good and bad. Like any new technology, any new idea to come on the scene, it may have aspects of good and Costs might have bad to it. So as we become richer, which we are becoming richer, if you actually look at stats, even the poorest Americans do better than most people in the world. Now, does that cheer up the person that's struggling here in America? Probably not. Just like, you know, when somebody tells me that, oh, look at the Walton family with their $191 billion. I just saw some Bernie Sanders ad going on and on about these... Rich billionaires. No, the, that doesn't make me feel like I'm getting the short end of the stick. So just because somebody is poor, say, in India or parts of Africa, doesn't mean the poor person in America feels any better, and I don't feel envious for the really rich people here in America. Comparing lives is often where we go wrong. You know, the keeping up with the Joneses. You know, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's livestock or life times have changed by the way I don't know if we should put you know but don't touch my stuff don't touch my loved ones and it's good to know those boundaries it always comes back to what are you doing to make not only your life better but your friends lives better your family's lives better the community better and that brings me to last night's mayoral forum. It wasn't really a debate. It was more just a, you know, a quick question and answer with all the candidates running for mayor of Montgomery. I watched a good bit of it. I couldn't make it through the whole thing. And I have to say this, folks. Yes, there were people up there who said things that were just lacking, for lack of a better phrase. Some of it was entertaining in the absurd and funny way. You wouldn't want certain people up there to ever be mayor of our dear city, no doubt. But I was more flabbergasted, and I'm not saying you're wrong to be this way. It's just, it kind of woke me up to a trend that I've participated in. Because when I watch some of the answers on, say, the question about crime in the city of Montgomery... I saw mostly, a few little details here or there, agreement. Lots of ideas across the board that crime is a problem in the city, violent crime in particular, and we should be able to deal with it. Especially young kids, juveniles, so to speak, committing crimes. What are we going to do about this? I thought there were great answers across the board. 
Again, not every aspect of the night was great. There were, in my opinion, too many candidates up there. Maybe we should raise the bar for becoming a candidate a bit. But largely more conversation, in my opinion, is better. More voices that actually represent all the different types of people in this city, the better. Even if you find somebody to be a joke, that person is still a person and has a perspective. Doesn't mean you got to give them political power, obviously. Doesn't mean you have to make them the representative of your city for the rest of the state and for the rest of the country and for sister cities all around the world. Of course, of course, of course. But I was a little surprised by how stringent some of the reaction was. And it wasn't just with Montgomery's mayoral forum, which, by the way, good job, WSFA. I thought it was a good job. The moderators did a fantastic job. It's, in general, the way we talk about politics and our political leaders. And I've done this, too. I am I'm a sinner in this regard and in many others. We just seem, the word negative, we only seem to focus on the terrible. Now, part of this is just who we are as people. It's human beings. Like, you ask a group of folks, what should we do tonight? Like, what should we do that's a positive thing? Should we go to a baseball game or a football game or go hiking or go drink a few beers or have a glass of scotch or eat a bunch of chicken and get high? I don't know. (laughs) Seemed to be what one candidate was suggesting. But when you ask people, what should we do that's like a positive thing we're going to do together, people find it very difficult to agree. Unless they already have shared experiences and values. Then this is why we congregate. It's why some people go and exercise a lot and some people sit on their butt and watch TV all day and some people read all night. We have different tastes, and that's fine. But you, if you ask that same group of diverse people with all these different backgrounds and interests, what's wrong with the given situation? They'll come up with answers real quick. So we're very much trained, except when looking in the mirror, to spot errors in the situation and what other people do and what other people say. I wish I was as perceptive about myself as I am when I spot other people's errors. It's constantly a point of frustration for me because I know I make mistakes all the time. I wish I was perfect, but I'm not. None of us are. So I get that some of this is built in. It's just in the brain. It's in the body. It's who we are as human beings. We tend to focus on the mistakes so we can correct the mistakes and move on and keep doing the sort of vague good things that we like to do. But it almost seems like, and pardon me here, that for us who watch politics, us political junkies, that our knee-jerk reaction to most anybody trying to lead whether it's at the city level, the state level, or the national level, it seems like our knee-jerk reaction is to find something negative to say. And I can't believe I'm sitting up here tonight in my loneliness <laughs> arguing against being cynical when it comes to politics. But I've had a shift in my thinking. I'm still very cynical about the using political power to do everything we want to do under the sun, whether it's fixing mistakes or building great new projects. But I've become less and less cynical about the people actually trying to do these things. No doubt there are some bad people out there. But I think most of the people, for instance, on that mayoral forum stage, most of the people in the state house. I think most of the people, if you're talking about the individual person, even the halls of Congress generally has some good interest in mind. Maybe that's naive. Maybe. But I tend to think what's happening is the system chews up and spits out good people that try to get involved. And part of that system is the people. I think we would have better government 
I think we would not only have better government, but more engagement in our communities if we all did better. And I can't speak for all of us. I shouldn't speak for all of us. I don't want to speak for all of us. I'm going to speak for just Joey here. We, I, can do better. And that's how we start changing anything that seems like a wicked, complicated problem, whether it's loneliness or bad government or problems of in education or crime or finances, taxes, you name it. Before we even start dealing with the big problems, you got to start taking little bites, concentrated efforts to deal with the source of the problem. Instead, what I see, and again, I contribute to this, have contributed to it, and I hope not to do so as much in the future. What I see is sort of a, a knee-jerk like peanut gallery. Like, hmm. I'm just going to watch this and kind of not think about it too much, but react. Something we do a lot these days. We just seem to react and not think. Maybe that's a problem. So, for instance, when I see the man who's now on the television screen here in the studio, President Donald J. Trump, I don't think the trade war is working very well for, you know, to hell with the politics and the political analysis of this. I don't think it's working well on economic terms for anybody. Tariffs are an increase in taxes. Taxes hold back the prosperity that we could all have. I understand where the president is coming from, though. I understand how he thinks about it. And I wish him well. But I'm trying not to get into this constant game of negativity. I wish him well. It's easy. It would be so easy to sit here every day and damn the president. It's easy. We'll just look at a lot of other media out there. It's also easy to defend him, no matter what, in my humble opinion, though he's, he's quite a guy to defend. If Donnie is one of your friends, sometimes he says stuff where you're like, oh, come on, Mr. President, not, oh, not today. Not today, please. Stop it with the tweets. But largely, I find Trump entertaining. Where I disagree with him, I try to understand why he disagrees. And I try to make my case for those who will hear me. But I'm starting to learn that whoever is president, though important, I suppose, is not going to change my life, not in a big way. Unless the president starts a literal war with China or Russia... Unless the president does massive, unconstitutional things, this president or any other president, it's probably not going to affect my life in a very direct way. Yes, the government puts up all sorts of roadblocks in our way. Corporations get all sorts of sweetheart deals that are not just and unfair. People are short-sighted, negative, blah, 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 and we're all lonely. The question I keep coming back to is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I think shouting at the people in the halls of power to be better is not a way to make ourselves better. Just my uh, my quick take. Got to hit a quick break as well. And coming back, I'm going to lighten up a little bit. We've got a Florida story. About something in somebody's pants not just any type of pants something in somebody's yoga pants be right back after this
Joey Clark. Welcome back. We've got Randall on the line, but before I bring you on, Randall, I want to introduce this Florida story I promised about something in somebody's yoga pants. Florida prosecutors, yes, it's a Florida story. Florida prosecutors say a Charlotte County Sheriff's deputy stopped a pickup truck in May after it ran a stop sign. The driver, 22-year-old Michael Clemens, told the deputy that he and his 25-year-old passenger, Ariel, were collecting frogs and snakes under an overpass. He gave the deputy permission to search bags in the truck. When the deputy found 41 three-striped turtles in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle backpack... He asked if Ariel, the 25-year-old woman, had anything else besides, you know, the 41 turtles. She then proceeded to pull a one-foot-long alligator from her yoga pants. Officials say the case is still pending. Wow. Gotta love Florida. Well, let's go to the phones and talk to Randall. Hey, Randall, how you doing? <laughs> what would have made it better if the alligator would have been in a Lake Placid uh, a backpack. That was funny, man. That was good. I loved that. Thank you for that, lad. Gotta love Florida, man. <laughs> Gotta love. Um, why, I guess, why can't we be each other's peel? I mean, I'm down... I'm down to meet at any library bookstore. I mean, we could just start as simple as that. We can say, hey, we're going we're gonna to meet here, on, you know, once a month, start once a month, and we're going to study. Nick, we're going to, whoever, you, you know, whatever topic you want to be, and that we're just going to research that for one hour. You know what I mean? And whatever we come up with, research one hour, and we talk to each other an hour about it, then we go about our way. And start that once a month, and we bring a person here and there. I mean... It's, you know what I mean? If, it, if it's more than about just the story, and I mean, if it ain't no more than about the story, then, you know, I may mean, forget what I say. But, well, I like what but you I, just said at the beginning is we should be one another's pill. Um, that, you know, pills and thrills and daffodils will kill, but we should be, you know, one another's assistant, so to speak. If you're feeling lonely, you're feeling down. Uh, I think here's the reason, Randall, that people are so hesitant is that good habits. Like a regular schedule of meeting up with people, it's very difficult to develop. Like for the individual, once you get involved in something and you get that momentum going, uh, it works. But it's very difficult to get over that first few month uh, hump, to get over that hill, to where you're like, okay, this is what I do on say Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights or Thursday nights, whatever. And I think a lot of people are so caught up in the daily grind of work and, and making that money. As well as their other, you know, forms, their other palliatives, or whatever, you know, makes them feel all right at the end of the day after the grind. It's very difficult to add something to that schedule. I understand. It's like, man, I, I really thought he was, you know, he, was, he said if he could clear it, he's going to be on your show tonight, you know, and he couldn't. So, I mean, yeah, I understand. But, you know, uh, man, if it's, you know, if you do it, this, if once a month don't sound as bad as once, you know what I mean? Don't, right, right. You can you plan, you know, that's why it's easy once a month and this, you know, I, maybe we make it 30 minutes of study and 30 minutes, you know, just one hour session. Because, I mean, the least, I think less is more in that situation. But I, yeah, I do understand what you're saying, man. It's hard. It's, and then when you get, I'm, I'm the world. I can explain to you this side. When it gets time, you start thinking more about it. Then you start thinking, what if you don't perform, you know, as that person's expectations? What if you, uh, you know what I mean? What if you yeah. ain't the person, you know? It's, you start thinking, then, then you, you come up with a reason not to be there. And it'll be a good one, you know what I mean? It'll be one that somebody, you know, I, I just, I understand where you're coming from. Well, and I've done this, I've gone through, I mean, people go through phases in life, and you got to expect that. I mean, and you can do it as something as simple as a meetup group. For, I mean, you might go to a place for a year, two years, three years, four years, and then you're finally like, yeah, I think I've worn out my welcome here. Or I'm just, I'm kind of bored with what I'm doing now. Or it could be a show you listen to. It could be this show. It could be, I've done this with all sorts of shows I watch and listen to. I'll go through a phase where I love that show. And it sort of goes on the back burner. And I don't keep it up, keep up with it. And it's not because I dislike it. It's just that, okay, 
enough of that for now. Let's do something else. Um, it, yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's. Uh, we number one need to find a place to to meet. We need like a, a good venue, like a good sponsor, or people like the the lonely and dispossessed. Especially the good-looking, lonely, and dispossessed can come meet with Joey every, you know, Friday night or something. Man, you you better make this quilt start rising. I mean, oh, you, you put man. it out, and I'm, and I'm, I mean, I'm serious. I'm, and I want because I, I want to learn from it. I mean, because I, I, we just so everybody just so misunderstood. And I think if, you know, what I mean, fifteen minutes here, fifteen minutes there. I think, man, we can we can put this this train on a track that they ain't nobody ever seen before, man. And, and, let's, and, like and let's remember, Randall, like we, right now, at the start of this show, I, I set the tone, so I take the blame, we'll focus on the negative. There are a lot of people in this country, this world, but in this city, who have great, well-rounded lives. They're happy. They're doing great. And it's not everybody, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not preaching to that choir. I'm looking for folks who might feel a little down and out. And if you've got your life together... Feels great. Just know, number one, it, it doesn't always last. Number two, why don't you reach out to somebody who you you might have noticed, but you didn't think about them a lot, and ask how they doing. Just get to know them a little bit. And it goes back to like what you said at the start of the show. Donald Trump can't change your life, really, no. and much and less than so. But but I guess who can? Somebody from your hometown can. Some, I, I mean, you could change my life, but it ain't gonna change from Washington. It's gonna start right here in Montgomery. I swear. Yeah. I, and, and 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 the only reason I know that is because of you, because of people at Blue Water. Because I drove it. I mean, and and, and my dad is just. Not, I mean, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't even know half what I know in life. Him right. taking me places and putting me to work when I was thirteen, and and people don't have that opportunity. So you know, what I mean, I want ever. I want to learn what you know. What I mean, how you? Can, I don't know. I want to learn so. Yeah, there was, did you hear the answer last night on crime from, and I think most of the candidates actually agreed on this note. I've heard it from people like Arthur Davis. Uh, I'm sure somebody like J.C. Love would agree. Stephen Reed as well. But I heard the answer from David Woods. And David cited studies that cities that have taken on robust and active mentoring programs, and it doesn't require a lot of money. It just requires finding people, usually men, who can help young men, you know, find a little bit of uh, focus and purpose in life and it give them something to do. And again, it doesn't have to be like we're literally saving souls here. It could be something as simple as, as yeah, join a certain activity. Like, let's play basketball together. I know people look down their nose. How's that? No, when you give people a little bit of purpose, something to look forward to, even once a week, it does help. And it's not just David Woods or me, Joey Clark, talking out of my backside here. Like, cities that have done these things and really put their best foot forward, they reduce crime. There are some evil people out there who, you know, want to be the biggest, baddest guy on the block, and they're either going to be or they're go- and hurt a lot of people on the way or they're going to end up hurt themselves. But I think most people are just looking for somewhere to belong. And if we provide that in all sorts of different ways, there's no one size fits all. It'll help. And and that, and that belongness is is it, it starts and begins. I know it's it's hard to say this and it's hard to think this, but it is money has a lot to do with it. And it ain't about it ain't about putting stuff over there in, in on the west side to to, to spend money. It's, they got to find a way to get money in these kids' hands that you know to, that don't have but one parent or don't even have a parent that's getting money off their check. We got to, you know what I mean? We can't have a, a, a west chase. You got you know what I mean? To spend money because that's bullcrap because they ain't got nobody. They ain't no money in the west government to spend. Right. And that's what they're overlooking. And crime will take care of itself once you 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 mentor these kids and you give them another another alleyway to find a way to make money. Brother, crime is gonna take care of itself. You it, they won't be worried about getting that still in that little that iPhone from the rich white boy to carry it to somebody to get you know enough money to get a grapey coat. Them days are gonna be over with. I'm telling you, we could change it. And brother, I'm ready. I'm ready. You, you pick the day, and you can make it a couple months from now. I mean, you know, what I mean, it's a lot going on in the world. I mean, you do what you do, but I, and first I want to start. I want I, you offer me to come on your radio show. Yes. I'm telling you right now. I, I didn't answer you on radio because, and I froze up. I did, and I mean, I because I, I don't want to disappoint you, man. And I never have. Well, I, I got you. you. My, my big old truck with its big old headlights, the voice that is my big old truck with its big old headlights, just stopped you. You're like a little deer. 
in the room. <laughs> no, but, you're what, right. what, but I, you're on the show now, but I'd love to have you in the studio some evening. As long yeah, as you can so, behave yourself, you know. No, no quints, no, no colorful language, so to speak. Yes, I, I, yes, you're right, and I, I, I mean, and I want to speak. I mean, I want to speak black and white. I do. I read. I'm ready. I'm, I don't. I don't want to be no colorful language. I want. I want to start now. And I, I promise you, you give it. You tell me a day where I can push it out there. I want people to listen. That that keep telling me. You know what I mean? That say they're gonna listen, but they'll listen for a few days and then turn it off because it's like you say. It it's hard to get something new started, and, and you know. And I think. I think this will go a long way, man. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And well, we got to find a venue on. first for Friday nights. Maybe it'll be a, a sponsor. Uh, if anybody has any ideas for a great meeting place who might be a good sponsor, uh, reach out to me. Oh, my God. I wonder what a place like that would be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> might have something to do with a pizza call. Oh, my God. Yeah, anyway, maybe I some, some sort of food. But I yeah, appreciate it, Randall. Thank you. Yeah, the reason for food, I mean, just like I told you, the reason for food is so people can have a chance to do something with their mouth besides talk where you can talk. <laughs> and then, you know, they can take in what you're saying. And then when you start chewing, it gives them the time. You know what I mean? It, right. it works perfect. And, you know, I love it. All right, bro. You Thank let you, me bro. know. Let's see. Thank Appreciate you. it. You know, folks, I've interviewed folks and read about folks here in the city that are already doing these things we're talking about. I mean, there are so many number one, church leaders and people leading so many different groups in different denominations around this city that are helping people through these life struggles. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I'm going to solve everybody's you know, spiritual and psychological problems from the radio station and with a meetup. And then there are also people going the extra mile with nonprofits, people like Ken Austin over at Mercy House, where it started with just looking and seeing Having the eyes to see and the ears to hear that that young man, that little kid right there needed help. So I'm going to help him. And it grew from one kid to two kids to three kids to now they need a whole house at Mercy House. Talked to two gentlemen from a group called Madhouse. Making a difference house. Not the, the New Power Generation Prince Jazz album, Madhouse from the 80s. No, Making a Difference House. And what they do is they mentor young kids and they throw in an athletic weight training aspect to it. Along with extra scrutiny for academics and how to carry yourself in this world as a responsible young person. I mean, there are people out there doing great things. So we need not focus on the negative and I just saw an amazing report that really the world is getting better by almost every metric. And I tend to think, this is back to a point I made earlier, the Internet's a great thing. I've connected with so many people that have made my life better. But it also has gotten me down. When you're seeing curated lives where people are picking the best photo and the best angle and they're good looking. Oh, that guy looks better than me. That girl's so attractive. I'll never be like that. Look at them. They're in this some exotic location. And no wonder people, when they compare themselves to the curated lives of these tastemakers, they feel so lonely. And you better believe those tastemakers have to crap in the morning and put on their pants like everybody else. Except for some of them who don't seem to ever be wearing clothes. But there are people out there already doing this. We don't have to recreate the wheel. We just need to see who needs help right in front of us. And that's, in fact, somebody told me this a long time ago, right after my mother passed. And it was true then, and I'm just now in the last few months because I'm hard-headed and stubborn like my aunt. My aunt, I'm not going to give her name out, one of my aunts, my dad's side, well... You now know my family, you know who I'm talking about. A characteristic of her, and it runs in the Clark family, is that if you tell her something, and even if she knows it's right, and I'm just like this, she's going to argue with you and tell you you're wrong until she comes to the conclusion herself. And I'm the exact same way. Stubborn, hard-headed. And this person, right after my mom passed, said, I see that you're lonely. I see that you're going through a rough time. And I was. I was in this deep melancholy, and I think justifiably so my mother in many aspects was my world the suggestion was you can wallow and you can leave the lead the hermetical life keep to yourself and that's what I've done and that's what I told this person I would do 
I need to work on me for a little while. And think really what I want in life. But her suggestion was, hey, why don't you get out there and go help other people? I keep coming back to the best things in life are all about mutual win-win situations. Really, at the end of the day, I'm grateful to the guy I barely even know at, say, the convenience store when I pick up an energy drink. But I'm grateful to him. I'm grateful he has this store. I'm grateful to all sorts of sponsors, whether it's Express Fitness or Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. I'm grateful to so many people that are actually putting their best effort forward to serve the community. I'm grateful for people that take the time to go, are you doing all right today? I'm very grateful for that. And the beautiful thing is that these win-win situations, whether it's commercial trade or it's charity, or just basic friendships, they are self-reinforcing. They make good things keep going. And though the world is getting better, though these simple truths are very ancient, that friendship, trade, peace, charity are good things that are self-reinforcing, why is it that people are so down? I think part of it is this unrealistic world that we're trying to grapple with, the virtual world. Though there's been a lot of benefit to my life, I can see the negative of things like social media. I think it's going to take time. We're going to have to deal with it. Though this is an amazing technology, like the printing press on steroids, you go back to when the printing press was first invented and ideas started to become more and more portable. The Bible itself in native tongues and languages. It wasn't all rainbows and sunshine and lollipops and Christmas every day. Not by any means. There was a lot, a lot of difficulty. There were a lot of false prophets. There are a lot of people that abused the good book and abused this new technology, the printed word. Well, today what we have is the printing press for every single person. You don't need to go to a publisher to get published and write your words and share them with the world. You can do that almost for free. And now it's even more than the written word. It's the spoken word. It used to cost so much money to do, for instance, what we do here on radio. It cost a lot of money to put all this stuff together, all these microphones, this radio board, the transmitters, the tower, and so much more. Now people plug a microphone into their computer. You know how much it cost? Just even a decade or two ago to run a TV studio that looked professional, that looked top-notch. Now people are doing it from homemade studios with millions of followers, making thousands if not millions of dollars. It's a new day and age. And though all this is amazing and the gatekeepers are being pulled away from their post and we don't have to listen to even Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Chicago Tribune or the LA Times. Or even, you don't even have to listen to the Montgomery Advertiser. You don't have to listen to any of the local news affiliates. You can go to a Facebook group and get some information in some way. Though this is largely a good thing, more freedom, less gatekeepers, more access to information, there are going to be growing pains, and that's exactly what we're going through now. And it heightens our sense of worry. It makes us feel more lonely. It makes us feel nervous that the world is changing at such a clip. It's hard to keep up with what's right, what's wrong. How do we actually deal with one another? My suggestion at least what I tell myself, is go back to what's always been true. Take what's always been true, the basic virtues that have propelled societies like ours to the heights they are currently at, and apply these 
ancient values to our everyday lives and to the new technologies and opportunities we have. That's the choice we got. What is it in Shawshank Redemption? Get busy living or get busy dying. That's the choice we got. And no, everybody is not going to be some big celebrity or star and make boo-coodles of money. But I don't think most people actually want that. And there's always the dream, I'm going to win the lottery, I'm going to be famous someday. But how many famous people do you know? How many people do you know who are rich who don't actually seem that happy? So it's more about understanding what money and wealth and all these new tools can provide us. It's not the 15 seconds or 15 minutes of fame. It's not, oh, I can jet set around the world. If that's what you love and you're capable of doing it and lead a balanced life, God love you. But most people just want to get by. They want friendships. They want good, robust families. The real American dream isn't being a billionaire. The real American dream is building a life on your own terms. Free. Free from those who demand at the point of a gun that you must live a certain way. That's the true American dream. Free to live in what people often see as poverty, but really it's people making sacrifices in the here and now for future generations. The story always sticks to me with me. You know, some researcher going back in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, right after the industrial shift occurs in this country, looking at poor hog farmers, which actually is part of my family history, hog farming. Look, oh, y'all are so poor. And the wife, the matriarch of that family, said, no, you've got it wrong. It might look like we work in the mud all day and we're dealing with these hogs and we're doing hard work. And we are doing hard work. We are living in what a lot of people don't want to do. But you don't know what we're doing for our children. Why we're going through this. And it's worth every bead of sweat. It's worth every back-breaking moment if I know I'm building something better for those coming after me. That's the actual dream. And we shouldn't lose sight of it with all the rhetoric that goes on the more political our society becomes. We don't need pills for loneliness. And we don't need politicians to save us. 